Okay, officially, let's get going. Let's fly through this. Okay, so I'm going to spend probably about 20, maybe 25 minutes today, depending on the amount of questions that you have. Uh, this is a mini class for making offers in today's environments. So you want to get real estate deals accepted. You want to get sellers consistently, I'm not talking about sporadically, but you want sellers consistently saying yes to you right now, then there's a technique shift you have to do. Okay, I'm going to go through the number one mistake that most people are making right now as they're making offers in real estate investing. Most people don't even know what they're doing wrong, but they're still getting rejected left and right. And the clients that I'm, I have the blessing and privilege to work with right now, they're killing deals. We have a package. I'm not allowed to talk about it yet because it hasn't officially closed yet, but let's just say that it's really big and it's closing this week. Like it's for a lot of people, it would make their entire year, if not a two or three year window. And, um, it was done by using a technique that I'll be going through today. Okay. So there's three simple ways that you should be making offers right now. Three. Okay. There's not 10, not 20, although there are 17 different ways that uh, sometimes we'll teach. There's a time and a place for it. And right now the market is prime for these very specific three, three ways. Okay. Um, before I cover all that, I want to give a quick shout out to a couple people. Uh, number one, Aaron Devell, congratulations. I know you're working on getting two deals under contract today. Woo, congrats. Yes, that a man. I love, I love hearing that. Uh, Dave Snyder, also congrats to you for, for pushing forward, getting A players on your team. I know that it hasn't been an easy process, but I want to say congratulations to you. Whenever I, I, I see that growth in team, it fires me up. I get excited about it. Uh, Miguel Edwards, new, brand new to the real estate investing world, working on putting a contract or deal under contract in New Mexico right now. Congrats. Keep pushing. Even if you don't get that one, keep pushing, keep pushing. I love seeing that. And then, uh, last one that I want to give a shout out is Christopher, Christopher Sprague. I know that you, uh, uh, courageously started making offers in a market that you've never been before, but the fact that you've already got two offers going out in a single day. I'm, I'm pumped up. I get inspired by that. So congrats. Keep, keep moving. Okay. Okay, cool. Let's cover the three, the three simple ways that every REI real estate investor you should be doing, you should be in the know on to be able to get deals accepted in today's market. The first one ready. It's called the assignment of contract. Okay. I know that that might sound simple, but I'm going to give you a clue, uh, a tip that an attorney taught me that cost me about $1,600, $1,600. I was sitting down with a friend and um, he had done a lot of these assignments of contract. It's basically works like this. You go out, you find a seller who wants to sell. You put their property under contract with the purchase agreement. You sign a contract saying that you're going to buy it for some price at some future date. Generally speaking, you got an inspection contingency period. I don't know, that might be seven days, might be 21 days, might be a month, who knows, okay? But you put the deal under contract and then what you do to make money off of it is you assign that contract to another investor, okay? You, you physically, you're not selling a piece of property. You're not selling a house or an apartment building or anything like that. What you're doing is you're selling the paper. You're selling the, the paper. So that's an assignment of contract, okay? Now, the mistake that most people are making doing this, okay? By the way, it's it's a it's a nice business model to do for a short period of time if you need to generate some cash. It's not something you're going to do forever because you're only going to get paid one time. You do this deal once, 
you get paid once. Now you might make 15, 20, 30 grand on that one transaction and, and it, life is good for a little while, but it doesn't like, it still makes you have to run on the hamster wheel. So like, it's an okay thing to do while you build up cash, but it's not what you're going to do forever. Okay. And um, I see some of the comments coming in too. So like hustle, uh, how to get sellers coming to you. We'll talk about that. I'm going to talk about that. Okay. Um, uh, while we're here and, and anyone else that has questions, you just go ahead, you feel free, you use that comment section. I'm scanning, I'm watching, I'm going to go back and I'm going to grab any of them, all of them that I can to make sure that we get them all answered while we're, while we're here together. Okay. So that's the flow of the assignment of contract. Now, the thing that everyone's missing is this. I was sitting down with a friend having lunch. He had done a bunch of assignments contract. He did this one and he got nailed, meaning he, he lost money on it. And worse yet, not only did he lose money, but um, the seller was coming after him. And I'm like, what? <laughs> How does that even happen? I thought that when you did this super simple assignment of contract, like everything was good and like you just only make money. There's only an upside, not a downside. And he said, well, Nate, uh, on this particular one, I had the contract with the seller over here. And then I had a buyer who was taking the property from me and I signed my piece of paper saying that they were going to take it and they were supposed to pay me a fee of $5,000 on the day of closing. And I'm like, well, what, what happened? He's like, well, the buyer disappeared. I'm like, what do you mean disappeared? He's like, yeah, at first he was like communicating with me and all that stuff. And then he just totally disappeared. And I'm like, well, what's going on? Like, why isn't the, the seller or why isn't the seller talking to the buyer? He's like, well, the seller doesn't know the buyer. They never knew one another. They only, they both knew me. So now the seller is really mad at me. And I'm like, whoa, yeah, it's logical. But I had at that, at that point in my investing career, I'd, I'd never like taken the time to actually like cover that. So I'm like, so what's going to happen? He's like, well, number one, the seller won't give you my earnest money back. I put out earnest money for it. And number two, they're really mad. They're talking about uh, suing me in court and and I'm like, no kidding. This actually, ha this isn't what. And so I then call up my real estate attorney and I'm like, please make sure this never happens to me. Please help me with this part. And so he writes up an official, not like an internet download template of some cheap contract, but like an official assignment of contract. Instead of it being like, you know, two sentences, like the typical internet ones are, this is six pages. It actually transfers not only the contract for the property over to the end buyer, but it also transfers over the liability for the contract. And it describes the fees, the earnest money, the, the, the fee that you're making, how it has to be paid regardless of whether it closes or not. Like that's the kind of assignment of contract that I'm talking about. When you've got a contract like that, then it makes this transaction really, really flawless. Okay. We're finding deals all the time right now that if we meet with the seller and the seller's like, Hey, I need some astronomical number. And um, that's what I need. Then our common response is, Hey, uh, Mr. Seller, I can't do that number, but I might have a buyer that can. Would it be cool with you if I put this out to some of my potential buyers and um, I'll put it out there so that you can make the money you need to make. And when they say yes to that, then we do a purchase agreement with them. And then we go out and look to see if there's a buyer for it. And we just tell that we, you know, we do the purchase agreement at whatever their price is. We add an extra 10 grand to it, and then we'll put it out to potential buyers. And if a buyer wants it, okay, great, cool. 
Um, yeah, so that's that's another way that you can monetize deals. If you do not have, you don't need a dollar to do that, literally. Even the deposit or the earnest money that they might ask for sometimes, you just simply tell them, hey, no problem, I can post that money, but it's gonna be after the inspection contingency period. After the 21-day inspection period, I'll have that money posted. And then you have this buyer over here post that money when they fall in love with the property. Okay. So that's assignment of contract that works all day long, any market, especially in this market where we've got some turbulence happening and whatnot. I'd recommend that you add that to your arsenal. It's not my first, not my favorite thing to do because it's a one-time payment and you still have to run on the hamster wheel doing that kind of business. But if you're in a cash position where you need to generate cash, that's a, a thing that you should have in your lineup. You should also have it for deals that, you know, they just don't meet your buy box. You work all that time to generate these leads and you get sellers coming into you. But if you can't serve the seller through your purchase price, like what you need to buy it at, then why not give them the option to potentially, you know, let it go through via wholesale, let it go through via assignment of contract. So that's assignment of contract. Uh, next one that I want to cover is called the land contract. Okay. The land contract. For those of you that are able to visually see, I'm going to pop up an image of a 1977 Chevrolet pickup truck on your screen. Okay. If you're, if you're following along just through audio, then just picture a 1977 Chevrolet pickup truck. Okay. My dad had a 1977 Chevy and um, he put it up for sale, you know, the end of the driveway with a little for sale sign on it. Meanwhile, I, I was painting houses to pay for college and I was hauling around step ladders in my trunk. And I saw dad selling this truck and I'm like, dad, I need that truck. <laughs> I came home from college for the weekend and I'm like, dad, I need that truck. He's like, yeah, cool. It's $3,000, but I don't have $3,000 dad. He's like, well, that's tough luck. I'm selling it for 3000. And I'm like, plus I looked it up on Kelly blue book and it says it's only worth 2000. Will you take 2000? He's like, no, 3000 is my number. So I started pondering a little bit and I'm like, I really need that truck. If I had that truck, I could totally go out and get these bigger paint jobs and, and I, I could make more money this summer. Like I need that truck. And so I go back to dad and I'm like, dad, I'll pay you the 3000, but I don't have the 3000 today. Is there any way you do some kind of like payment plan with me? And then dad ponders it a little bit and he's like, yeah, we could do that. He writes up this little contract. I remember he taped it to the inside of the kitchen cabinet to like track my payments, so to speak, and all that stuff. And then every time I would open the, <laughs> the cupboard door while I was home for that period of time, um, I had to look at it. So it was right there. Dad put it right there, front and center. And anyways, I, I, would, I got the truck, got some bigger ladders, and I got this one really nice paint job, and then I ended up getting the neighbor house. So I got two paint jobs in a row of really big ones, you know, pretty good money, like four or $5,000 per job. I did those paint jobs. I paid off my, my paint. I paid off my guys that helped me paint the houses. And I took the, the, the rest of it and I paid my dad off for that truck with two paint jobs, paid them off in full. And I remember sitting down and having lunch with a buddy who also painted houses. And I told him about the story of how I got dad's truck. And, and at this, after I told him the story, he said, you're an idiot. I'm like, why am I an idiot? He said, because you overpaid for that truck. You could have got a truck for 2000. Why'd you have to pay 3000? And I thought for a second and I'm like, but I, I didn't pay anything for the truck. Those paint jobs paid for the truck. The, pay, the business paid for the truck. I didn't pay anything. I'm not an idiot. Well, fast forward. I don't know if this was an intentional lesson from dad or not, but fast forward some years. Now when I'm sitting down with a seller of a house or, or a commercial building 
and and they're they want some outrageous number that's just like you know you can't pay that much. It's like my dad wanted more than market value for his 1977 Chevrolet pickup truck. When that happens to me, I simply look back at them and say, okay, um, you know that's a little bit rich for my blood. Uh, but if I were able to get that to you, just understand that I can't bring cash to the table in that amount because like any amount that I borrow that's above market value, just know that like you don't get loans for stuff like that. Banks don't do loans like that ever. And if anyone did, they would want outrageous amounts of interest. So like it just doesn't happen. But the way that I could do that is I could do it through monthly payments for the next 15 years, 30 years, whatever it is that makes sense for you. And, and, and that's my response back to them. And that's how I get deals. That's how I get deals that other people don't know how to get. That's how you turn this situations where you're getting rejected from sellers to getting accepted by sellers by creating this win-win scenario. I'm not talking about you taking a property and negatively cash flowing. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Uh, I'm talking about you finding a property for, let's just say the market value is 400,000 and the seller wants 405. And um, they happen to have a mortgage on it that has an interest rate that's like 4% interest. I'm talking like, you know, two years ago, interest rates now. And if you're able to just step in and make monthly payments on their mortgage payments and take over the whole deal, and let's just say that that's 2000 bucks per month, and you can rent it out for, you know, 3100 3200 per month, that could be a killer deal for you. All because you thought more creatively than everybody else. All because when they got stubborn, you didn't get stubborn too. You didn't try to dig your heels in and push back, okay? Instead, think creatively. So I always say to myself that if they won't give me price, then they got to give me terms. And I'm going to show it to them open book. I will talk through it. Like I'll do everything that's needed so that they fully understand why it's in their interest to do it with me, okay? Totally open book with them, okay? Number three. Ready for number three? Who's ready? Type number three in the chat if you're ready. If this has been good so far, if it's if you got at least one nugget from this, then give me a number three. Write number three in the chat, okay? Number three, yeah. Thank you, Dave. Cool, cool. Okay, so number three, the way to offer is that you have to understand, some people would call these syndications. Some people would call them partner deals. Some people might call them mini partner deals. Around here in my world, we call them SLP deals, okay? Um, you're gonna bump into some sellers who they absolutely need to be cashed out. They have to, okay? And the numbers might not make sense to go and borrow all of the money for whatever reason. Maybe it's, it's a property that needs renovation. It's a property that maybe it's a multifamily property and it, and it needs to be bumped up to market rate rents, but... In order to do that, you have to end some of the existing leases so that you can make room for the new leases. There's a variety of scenarios where you end up in a position where you have to bring cash to the table. And the way that I like to structure those deals is I like to bring in a cash partner, money partner, okay? What they'll do is they'll enter some kind of agreement with me to be the cash person. They're bringing in the money. I'm bringing in the work. I'm bringing in the sweat equity. I'm bringing in the know-how. I'm bringing the opportunity. That's how I earn my cut. They bring in the money. And then I'm able to then go to the seller and say, yeah, no problem. We can cash you out. We can get you out of here in two weeks. As soon as title company can clear this, we can get you out of there. Okay. So I want you to have this in your, your lineup. You might not understand the details today because there's a lot of ways you can structure it when it comes to legal, the legal part of it. 
But I want you to know this very clear today. If you have a seller and you know you can create a really good deal, if all that you're missing is having enough cash for it, then know that you can pull one of these off. You can pull one of them off by, by basically when you've got a really good deal, money follows it. Every single time in my life that I've had a killer deal, like killer, killer deal, I think it's so, so good. I always find the money for it. I always, always do. It's kind of like, um, I, I'm not going to quote scripture on you right now, but like, we're not supposed to, as good God-fearing children, we're not supposed to worry about tomorrow for today has enough of its own sorrows or worries and things like that. We're not supposed to worry about the food that we're eating because if you look at the birds, the birds never worry about their food. They fly from place to place and they always are provided enough. And I feel like that same thing kind of happens when you have really good real estate deals. When you have really good real estate deals, the money will come in as long as you're willing to put out the effort to go talk to people and present it to people. Okay. That's a caveat, obviously. So um, yeah, that's the third way. That's We call it SLP here. You might call it partnership. You might call it syndication, but SLP, that's number three. Okay. Now I promised I would talk about the number one mistake that's being made by most people right now when they're making offers to sellers. This is like the big repel thing. Have you ever seen two magnets that when you flip it over the opposite way and you try to push together, the magnets will just never, ever stick because of that polarizing effect. It happens to a lot of people. I get the, the privilege. We work with a lot, of, a lot of clients here who we help them set up their ads and then they get a bunch of leads coming in. And if they ever have a problem converting the leads, the very first thing that I want to do is I want to listen to the calls. So I say, send me the, the recordings. And so uh, this happened to me with a young man out in Sa Sacramento, California. He'd done 31 calls and didn't get any conversions. So I'm like, let me hear the calls, bring them on. And I start going through them and I'm listening and I hear this you know, polarizing effect, the magnets pushing apart. And it's, uh, it came down to this one thing and it comes down to this one thing almost always for people. Here it is. Everybody likes to jump into price too fast. That's it. You jump into price. The seller is going to try to trap you. Okay. The seller doesn't know any better on this. The seller, this is the biggest asset. This is the biggest financial decision of their life. They don't know any better. And so what they're going to do is they're going to try to talk about price. They're going to say right off the bat, Hey, how much are you going to pay me? What's your offer? Hey, hey uh, are you going to pay me cash? When? That's what's going to default in their brain because they think that they're supposed to, they don't do this every day. They don't practice this stuff. They're not on trainings like you and I are right now, learning how to get better at, they're not. So in their mind, they're defaulting to how much is this guy going to pay me? What's his offer? Or how much is this lady going to give me? That's what they go to in their brain every time. 90% of the time, 10% of the time, maybe they don't, but 90% they do. Don't fall in that trap. That's the number one trap where I see most people, especially newer people in this business fail. And I don't want you falling in that trap. Okay. You got to back up. When you see or hear that statement, you have to just pause. Let me, let me teach you. Would you like to learn how to pump the brakes on the seller? If you want to hear how to pump the brakes, just type pump the brakes in the chat, pump the brakes in the chat. Okay. Pump the brakes. Okay. This is how you pump the brakes. You say, Hey, Mr. Seller, Mrs. Seller. Hey, I totally appreciate that question. And I promise we'll be able to get there, but I have never been to your property before. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to, this is over the phone. Okay. I'll give you a different one. If you're in person, um, if you're over the phone and they ask that, cause they still do, 
Hey, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, I've never been to your property before. Neither has my team. Um, therefore, I, I don't want to ever give a blind offer. Like I would never give you an over promise that I couldn't deliver on. Is it cool with you if I ask a handful more questions to really understand the situation? And then I promise we'll be able to get to an offer. Uh, but I just don't want to overquote you anything. I, I, I don't want to overstep that bound. Is that cool with you? And then 99% of the time they'll say, oh, okay, I, I get it. I understand. Okay. If you're in person, if you're doing your doing these appointments on site, which I recommend for, for those of you that are local in your market, it's a great thing to do. I, I'm not able to anymore because I don't live local in the markets that I'm buying in. Uh, for the most part, sometimes I'll do some local stuff. But um, so almost everything we do nowadays is by phone or sometimes by Zoom call. And so pumping the brakes, that's how you pump the brakes in the phone. If you're doing it in person, you can't say I've never been there before. It wouldn't work. So instead you say, hey, Mr. Seller, uh, tell you what, um, I, I don't know yet is, is, is the real answer because number one, we haven't like spent enough time going through the entire property. Number two, I've never sent my inspector here and I don't want to like over promise anything to you. Would it be cool with you if I ask you another handful of questions, we walk the property and then if things are looking good, then maybe I can bring an inspector out here. Would that be cool with you? That's how you pump the brakes if you're on site. Okay. You, you gotta get some, you gotta get that out of the way. Okay. If they're trying to pressure you for price, you pump the brakes. Okay. Then what are you going to do? Okay. In that conversation, and, and this is the transition. Okay. This is how I create winning offers that get seller signed contracts. This is how I get the yeses. A lot of people will ask, well, Nate, how does your team keep, keep getting consistent deals? Doesn't matter what twist and churn is in the market. It comes down to a few things. Number one, it's 100% glory to God. Like we have a good team, good marketing. Like it's a, it's a blessing for us, okay? And then number two, um, the, the actual offer is not us forcing anything on the seller. The actual offer is not us forcing anything on the seller. Instead, it's quite the opposite. What we want with a seller relationship is we want it to be truly be a relationship. Like if this is my seller over here and I'm doing a deal with them, I want them to walk away feeling that they won. You want to know an interesting stat? Who do you think, let me know in the chat, uh, Cornelius Vanderbilt was the richest man in the world, $185 billion net worth. If you measured it in today's dollars, he was the richest man in the world by a long shot. Okay. That's Cornelius Vanderbilt. John D. Rockefeller came along a little bit later. He had a $25 billion net worth at his peak, $185 billion versus a $25 billion net worth. Okay. Rockefeller had the smaller of the two. Um, which of the two do you think brought that wealth through generations? Which of the two still have money that's flowing through their family, family tree? Which of the two? Vanderbilt or Rockefeller? Which of the two do you think still have money flowing through their family tree? The Vanderbilts or the Rockefellers? Remember, Cornelius had way more money. Cornelius Vanderbilt had $185 billion if you compare it in today's dollars. That's more than Jeff Bezos. It's more than Elon Musk. Okay. Yeah, I see Rockefeller, Rockefeller. Yeah, Rockefeller. Exactly. Okay. Why? Why? I'll give you, there's a lot of traits that go into this. Like literally Cornelius uh, Vanderbilt, within 30 years of his death, none of his family members, not even his own children were on the Forbes list of the richest people in the world. None of them, zero. Uh, by 1970, 
the Vanderbilts had no millionaires left in their family. They came together for a big family reunion and there were no millionaires left by 1970. Shocking. Yet the Rockefellers have basically cascaded generational wealth, wealth that builds upon wealth and, and their descendants still have wealth that's flowing through their, their family lines. Okay. There's a lot of reasons for it, but one of the biggest reasons is this. Uh, John D. Rockefeller, he wasn't a perfect man. He wasn't. But he did say publicly, when I go and buy someone else's oil or company, I always try to give fair market value. I either give them the equivalent of cash or I give them some kind of owner carryback or stocks within my company. But I always try to pay fair market value. Holy cow. When I was doing my research and I read about that, it really shocked me. I, I was thinking like oil tycoon, he must've been like one of those guys that's like, tries to like get one over on, you know, bust a kneecap, like do whatever he's got to do. But it was that exact opposite. Um, and actually, if you look at his personal life since the age of 16, he, he became an uh, assistant bookkeeper when he was 16 and he was donating 6% of his wages to a charity. At age 16, he was donating 6% of his wages to a charity. And throughout his entire life, every Sunday, he taught Sunday school with his wife. Like he, he had some uh, flaws to him naturally, like anyone does, but he was also a pretty moral person. Okay. Why do I say all that? Because when you're sitting down with a seller, don't make mistake number one and get into price. But then number two, don't go in trying to screw somebody over. Don't, don't do it. It's not worth it. You can make a lot of money. We have made millions. It's a hundred percent a blessing to God. It's not me being some genius. But we've made millions in this business doing things the right way. You can do that too. You absolutely can do that. Okay. So you're working with a seller, understand their goals, understand things like have they already picked out another place to live or are they still living in the same property? Understand things like do you know what kind of mortgage they have on their property? Do you know if you can assume it? Do you know uh, what the payments are per month? If you don't know those things, and you're competing against someone like me or someone that, that I've trained on how to do these things, you're going to lose to them every time. The seller is going to feel it. The seller is going to know. And so I want you to, to cross the other side. Like you really got to respect the seller, understand their goals, try to help them hit their goals. If they can walk away from that transaction feeling like they won, the deal is going to stick. You ever seen that the person that like gets a deal under contract, but then the seller disappears on them? I've seen it before. Sellers sometimes like they'll sign a contract, but then they'll no longer respond because they feel like later, like they got screwed over. You don't want that. Okay. You want the seller to feel like, like they got some victory. They, you might not give them everything. You might not give them their price, their terms, all that kind of stuff, but they should, you should, if you need to go under what their expectations are, then you just got to open book, explain it to them, really walk them through that. Okay. All right. I'm going to open up for your questions. Jack says, uh, mind blowing. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm glad that you got a couple nuggets out of that. Uh, Hustle's asking what happened to the Vanderbilts. Um, a couple of things. Uh, the children of, of Cornelius Vanderbilt, they always felt like they were trying to prove themselves and they each built their big mansions. One built in the New York Hamptons, one built uh, Biltmore in Asheville, North Carolina, Dave's area, actually. Uh, beautiful, beautiful mansions. Um, and, and they were squandering their money. Uh, one of them at one of their mansions, they held a costume party in, in back in those dollars, it was $3 million. I imagine if you equate it just for one party, one night, $3 million party, 
I imagine if you equated that $3 million back then, it'd probably be closer to like $30, $40 million in today's dollars on a one night party. And so they just lived these lavish, lavish lives that they never should have, and they squandered it. Meanwhile, the Rockefellers, um, one of the grandchildren of of, uh, John D. Rockefeller, he was interviewed. I caught the interview clip. And and he was asked, hey, how do you, why do you think that your family has done better with money over the long haul? And he said, to be honest, I didn't know that I was rich. My parents never let us fly first class. Uh, we never got special privileges. Uh, it was actually uh, some of my classmates when I was in school that told me that I was rich. Right there. Okay. It probably also had something to do with the fact that John D. Rockefeller, since age 16, was tithing 6% of all of his income. It probably had something to do with the fact that he taught Sunday school every single week. He passed a lot of those values down to his children, who then passed down to their children. They took a family retreat every single year. The entire family would come together and they would certainly have fun to have a little, have a little summer fun, but they also talked about the family values. Um, they probably had something, and I don't know this to be true, but I'm, I'm assuming they probably had some type of family constitution. Um, it's something that we've added in, in my family, but something to, to lay out the, the rules of the family and how you can pass these generational values down, not just the wealth, but the values. So that's pro- that's my theory. Okay. I want to make sure that I answered, I, I answer your questions. So if you've got questions, go ahead, put them in the chat. Uh, I see yours right here. Uh, Gody Brath that says how to get seller leads. I'll talk about that. And if there's more, feel free to to type them. Um, I also want to give you this. Um, Let me ask this. If you felt like this was fire, can you let me know? Just type fire in the chat. Did this help you in any way, shape, or form? Did it start getting the wheels moving in the right direction? Did you pick up a nugget? If you did, just type fire in the chat. Okay. Or you could say gold. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. Cause, cause I'm, I'm planning on doing these weekly and I just, I want to make sure that the content's hitting right. So we always source our, our community and we try to figure out what you guys need help with. Okay. Um, for some of you, I know that some people have asked like, Hey, how do I learn this deeper? How do I go deeper with you guys? Would it be cool if I spent two minutes and talked about that? Would you be cool if I took two minutes and talked about how people can go deeper with our team? I promise you I'll answer all the questions. <laughs> I promise. Someone sent me a guacamole. How do you do that on social media? I don't know what a guacamole is. Some of these new social apps, they they got this cool stuff going on that I don't even know how to work. Okay, cool. Well, hey, so this is this is what it looks like to work with us. We we work specifically with real estate investors. We don't do like contractors, mortgage, like we don't do 50 different things. We do one thing. We work with real estate investors. The biggest thing that we do, we specialize in helping people that are either like in the business and they've got some momentum going, or if they're new, but 100% committed to doing real estate investing, then we can do some pretty cool stuff with them. Okay. We are bar none, the best at helping people use this whole social media platform. There's several of them, but social media to make real estate investing work. I got a chance to talk with um, a few of, few of our members earlier today. How I used to like going to networking things. I used to like you know meeting investors face to face, and and I still do. But the thing is, is that time is so precious to all of us. And when I figured out how to do this, 
with real estate investing, like how to get sellers on demand coming to me and how to get investors on demand coming to me using social like this, uh, it changed the game for me completely. And so that's what we do. We help get sellers coming into you. We help get investors coming into you and we work like that. And then basically we, we help you monetize that in the middle. So if you want that kind of help, then what I would encourage you to do is type the word hire, H-I-R-E, hire, down in the chat, and then my team will set up a 15-minute call with you, okay? That 15-minute call, you cannot buy anything from us. We don't roll like that, okay? Um, it's a game plan call. We want to understand where you're at, where you're trying to get, and we'll tell you anything you want to know about us. We do things like build out people's ads. We help people with seller conversions, like... But we'll jam on the phone with you at a very minimum. We're gonna, you're gonna walk out of that call with a game plan. You cannot buy anything from us. If you wanted to buy something from us, then you'd need to like tell us your plans and then we can schedule an actual longer call. But uh, upfront, like we wanna make sure that we've, we exchange value 100%. Okay, so you just type the word hire down in the chat and then my team will get in touch with you. It'll be a 15 minute quick phone call and then we'll map out a game plan with you. Okay, I'm gonna go back to the question that I saw on leads. Okay. There are three big ways to get leads right now. Okay. Um, there's obviously more ways to get leads. Like you can do cold calling, bandit signs, all that stuff. But I, I, I want to try to save you from some of the insanity um, where it might force you to quit the business. So let's address them. Number one, cold calling. Um, don't do that unless you plan on like literally hiring a team to help you with that. The reason is, is that you have to make so many cold calls to get one yes that it will probably drive you out of the business. Literally. I only know one real estate investor that's crushing it with cold calling right now. He's a client of mine. I help him on the Facebook side. So he gets a bunch of deals from, from uh, social media. And then he gets some, some deals from his cold calling. The guy has six employees in Mexico working full-time for him. He has a calling floor that's calling thousands of people per day to pull out a couple of deals per month. Okay, so it's just a, a different thing. Okay, if you have to like cold call yourself, it, it just beats it out of you when 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 sellers keep saying no and no and no. So don't don't go that route. Even though it's cheap and you can buy a list cheap, it's just not worth it because it's going to force you out of the business. Okay, the the crazy yellow signs I've done them before. They still can work. I, I have a friend that does them, but the problem is is that you can't scale it. Like if you wanted to like double your your lead input, you have to go and physically put out du double the number of signs. And that's not a scalable business. Okay. Um, I'm a hundred percent social media. Now I have done everything. I've literally ran TV commercials. Okay. I I've tried them all. I, I tell you that I, I just have, I've tried them all 17 years at this. Like I've tried them all. Social media is by far the most cost-effective way and the easiest way to scale by far. Okay. So how on social media, number one, you can do things like this. This is called organic. Like I'm talking with you organically right now. This is not a paid ad. This is live. Like I'm doing organic social media. You can do that. You can get sellers doing very, very similar to this. Okay. If you want a whole crash course on that, then I'd highly recommend coming to one of our three-day events. We have one coming up next week. Literally on day one of that, people get deals organically at that event. Happens every single time. So like, if you want to get, if you want to figure out that whole process, like I, it's a lot to train it. I can't do it just in a session like this but come to that three-day event and you'll learn how to get deals organically, okay? The second way is paid Facebook ads, okay? Paid Facebook ads work like this. You put up some type of image 
or some type of post that you then pay Facebook to boost. It's not literally a boost, but just think of it like that. You're paying Facebook to bring all of the people to you. So it could be as simple as, hey, are you thinking about selling your property? Hi, I'm Nate with Nate Buys Houses. I'm buying properties specifically in your area. Zip code, blah, 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 or whatever it is. Uh, if you're thinking about selling, go ahead, click on the link below and um, we'll connect and we'll get an offer to you, okay? That would be a very vanilla ad, but you kind of get the point to it, okay? Don't do vanilla though. You got to do a little little more creative than that because the marketplace is flooded right now with vanilla ads. You need you need something that's actually going to catch their attention, but that, that'll get you kind of in the right direction. Those paid ads, you can get sellers calling you, asking you for an offer, asking you for help for around $20 per lead up to, if you're in a more expensive market, they could cost you a hundred bucks per lead. It really depends on the market that you're going after and how good your ad is. That's the two big variables. Okay. Um, and then the third one is kind of a ninja way, but on social media, there's this thing like posts last forever. If I put up a post today, like this video going out into the social media world right now, this will be up until the social media platform decides to take it down or the social media platform disappears. Okay. I don't think social media is disappearing anytime soon. I think our society is leaning more and more into it. Um, unfortunately, but <laughs> that's just reality. And so, uh, when you do something like this, it lasts forever. Also their posts last forever. So what about all these people that maybe have posted something for rent in the past? Or what about all these people that maybe have posted for sale in the past? Think about those. What we do is we have a little scraping tool that we'll go through and we'll find, we call them expired posts. They're not really expired, but they're just old. They got buried. And we go through and we scrape and we find them. And then we reach out to them and we say, hello, hey, are you still thinking about work? Are you still thinking about doing X, Y, Z? I might be able to help you. Okay. So that's three ways to get you going in the right direction right now. Hope, hope that ha helps you. I see the question, how do I come to the event? Uh, if you type event in the chat, then my team will hook you up with a link for it. Um, that's probably the fastest way for you. Just type the word event in the chat and my team will hook you up with that, that link. Awesome. Cool. Brian, I see your post there. Uh, hire. Awesome. Mark, I see your post too. We'll reach out to you. We'll get you hooked up. Um, and if we can do anything else, always feel free. Our, we've got a, a really good community here. You'll see this. We treat the seller relationships and our investor relationships the same way. Um, so like watch the whole experience as you come through with our team and you do phone calls with us and things like that. Watch that whole experience because it's the same thing when you go start working with investors. It's the same thing when you're working with sellers. It's this experience that you want to bring for them. People will remember the experience more than anything else. And then when they think to themselves a year later about, you know, their friends selling their property at church, they're going to bring up your name or an investor that invests money with you and they had a good experience. And then two years later, their sister-in-law's got a chunk of cash. They're gonna mention your name. It's the experience, okay? So as you come through our team and you work with our customer support, remember the experience that you have. And then try to do that same thing when you go out and start talking to investors and when you start talking to sellers, okay? All right, awesome. Hey, thank you guys. I so appreciate uh, all the support and um, just you guys engaging. It helps so much. Otherwise, I'm just a, a guy on the other side of the camera and it gets pretty boring over here. But when you guys are asking questions and throwing this stuff out at me, it helps a ton. So I appreciate you guys.
Love you all. Have a good rest of your, your week and I will see you next week. Bye guys.